welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, Adam Chipwood drops by to discuss Edgar Wright's latest film, Baby Driver. Plus, Jake's got a recap of the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League, and you know we're going to wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... Midnight Warriors, joining us once again in the War Bunker, is front of the show and deputy editor of Collider.com, Adam Chitwood. Adam, welcome back. Howdy, folks. Thanks for having me. So a couple things up top here. First of all, um, Midnight Warriors, we announced a few episodes back that we, Jake and I, are going to start doing a uh, ongoing series on the work of John Carpenter that we are, I think, now officially calling The Carpenter Shop. Um, and so our next episode or our first episode, I should say, in that series is coming in a couple weeks. It'll be our next episode. Uh, and we are going to be discussing his 1987, I believe, film, uh, Prince of Darkness. Chris, this makes me nervous. You know I like to, to watch all directors' movies in order. Why are we not watching them in order? Well, Jake, I'm glad you asked. There, there actually is a rhyme and reason to this. So Prince of Darkness is the second film in what is known as John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, which also includes The Thing, which we reviewed last Halloween, and then uh, the movie from, I think, like 1992, uh, In the Mouth of Madness. So since we've already discussed The Thing, I figured this would be a great sort of jumping off point to complete that that trilogy, see what – and I think this is more of a like uh, you know, spiritual trilogy than it is a real uh, – serious, you know, connected one, but, uh, we'll complete that. And then we'll probably go back to, uh, you know, assault on precinct 13 or dark star. I know you still haven't seen Halloween, so we will then get back into your, uh, your safety zone, Jake, and probably go pretty much chronologically from there. I'm, I'm okay with this, but usually I like my trilogies to be connected by flavors of, uh, ice cream treats. <laughs> if that's possible. That's uh, fair. I, I don't think it's going to happen here, but uh, we'll we'll see if we can find some really loose connections for you. All right. At, at least maybe if someone's head crawls off in each of the movies, that might be enough for me. Yeah, we'll see if we can find some sort of you know loose semblance of, of connection with these. Uh, but that will have to wait till next episode. Uh, but be on the lookout for it. It'll, it'll just appear in the normal feed. And we're probably going to be doing these Carpenter... Um, Carpenter Shop episodes about every other episode or as we, you know, as we see fit. We're still going to discuss Dunkirk. We're still going to be reviewing the new releases that we really want to discuss, but, you know, skipping some here or there that we feel we don't necessarily need to see. And maybe we'll do some short reviews uh, in the interim as well. This beautiful and special little creature will be a revolution in the livestock industry. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful... They will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed, and produce less excretions. And most importantly, they need to taste fucking good. Well, speaking of short reviews, that that you heard right there was a bit of the trailer for the new Netflix original movie, Okja. Uh, this comes from director Bong Joon-ho, who uh, in more mainstream circles is probably most known for Snowpiercer, um, a South Korean director, a very interesting, vibrant 
um, uh, director. This is his second, uh, mostly English language film, although it has, it has a good portion in, in Korean as well. Um, and I figured we'd talk a little bit about it up top here, guys. What do you say? Sure thing. Let's do it. So Adam, what did, what did you think of Okja? <laughs> First of all, screw you guys for making me watch this movie. <laughs> I mean, I I was debating whether I was going to watch it. I, I like Bong Joon-ho. I, I like Snowpiercer. But just like the the subject matter and seeing like all the tweets from like friends of mine who live in New York and stuff after the screenings. I was like, oh, yeah, this movie's going to crush me. This is going to be a tough watch. It's, th- it's then when you're reminded that like Snowpiercer is really fun, but also Chris Evans eats babies. Like, yeah, it's, it's that hand in hand of like, oh, yeah, this is entertaining, but also terrible. Everything right. is terrible. Right. And I guess for those who are unaware of Okja, uh, Netflix just released it last week. Um, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Tilda Swinton, um, a slew of other other folks as well. Uh, Jake, your your great love, uh, Lily Collins, is in it. Uh-huh. And she's rocking some red hair. She but is. But let's not <laughs> pretend like this isn't Jake Gyllenhaal's movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but we can get to Jake Gyllenhaal in just a second. But uh, basically, it's about uh, – takes place in, I guess, an alternate present day or maybe slight future. I don't know. Um, but it's about – it's essentially this bonkers as South Korean movies – uh, generally or, or, um, very often are, um, kind of off the wall, sort of bouncing back and forth between a lot of the feels and the funnies and, and everything. This, the story about, uh, factory farming, um, which who doesn't love a great funny story about factory farming, but on a like weird, insane scale, basically you have a Monsanto sort of corporation that, um, has engineered, bioengineered this super pig. Uh, Chris, they, f- I, I thought they found it on a farm in Peru. <laughs> but, Chile. but through, uh, somewhat excellent, um, propaganda and advertisement, they make it seem like, oh, they found this super pig and it's going to revolutionize, uh, everything. And we're going to, you know, we're going to very safely and neatly, um, you know, revolutionize the way, uh, the way we eat food and do it all, um, in, in an environmentally friendly way with a whole lot of buzzwords. And, and that's sort of where it kicks off. As Tilda Swinton so eloquently explains. Right. Um, so Jake, you, you really, you really like Jake Gyllenhaal. What did, what did you like about, about this? I, I, I liked that I was entertained every second that his possibly offensive portrayal of Johnny Wilcox was on screen. It was I, so bizarre. I, I don't know if I should have been deeply, deeply offended or just fully entertained, but I, I, I was laughing basically the entire time he was doing his really weird thing on screen. Yeah, I was telling Adam off mic uh, before we started that I actually, when he first, I forgot Gyllenhaal was in this movie. And so when he first came up the mountain, I thought it was Sasha Baron Cohen when, when he's first revealed. He has like a hat and glasses and he's doing a funny voice. And he has a mustache, and I just assumed, like, oh, Sasha Baron Cohen's in this doing a Sasha Baron Cohen thing. Nope. No, it was Jake Gyllenhaal doing a Sasha Baron Cohen thing. It it was, but, like, I really like the way – I like that shift in his between his, like, real persona and his on-screen persona. Um, Yes, and I don't know how much we're talking about uh, spoilers in this one, but when when he goes back and forth between them 
uh, especially towards the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. It's it, well, and that's it's it's played for comedic effect while there's horrors going on around him um, to escalating um, escalating tension. And yeah, I, I would say let's try to stay as far away from spoilers as we can because you know we're just going to be talking about this for for a few minutes. But um, the so you've got you've got that end of it, and then you've got this. I mean, the the core of the story is basically uh, this this uh, company run by Tilda Swinton. They send off. I think it's twenty seven or is it forty seven? Twenty six. Twenty six. There we go. I was Samsonite. Um, <laughs> twenty six of these super pigs that were naturally bred in nature naturally um, off to 26 different countries. And then they have uh, they leave them there with, with farmers, local farmers to raise them as they would any other um, animal in their local tradition for 10 years. And then they're going to have the best super pig. Like it's, it's basically very, very, very long form reality television gimmicks um, sort of going on. And so we Okja is uh, the, the South Korean super pig. And we sort of, Spend a lot of the opening of the movie just sort of like following Okja and following falling in love with Okja, falling in love with Okja, falling with Okja. Mija, the girl, kind of looks after Okja and and her uh, grandfather, and then like and I was really kind of surprised because we're we come in on that very vibrant announcement from from Swinton's character, and it, it feels kind of like bright and all over the place and very quick, and then it kind of settles down into this like kind of lulling you into a sense of like oh okay it's going to be this nice kind of serene little little story you know there's there's long it's gonna be it's gonna be the jungle book is kind of what i thought at first well but even beyond that like there's there's these long extended takes and it just sort of lets you live in the world for a while Mm -hmm. and then the white men come along (laughs) (laughs) um and then it's all like and then it turns into like sort of this thriller and and all sorts of you know you you've got uh terrorists who like the the most um, the nicest terrorists I think you, anyone's ever seen. Every time I see Paul Paul Dano, I think that's how you say his name. Every time I see Paul Dano, I'm like, "Where's Paul Dano been?" Man, I really I really like him in pretty much everything he shows up in. I couldn't agree less. You hate him? I really don't like him generally, but he's been growing on me. That's, did you see Swiss Army Man? I did see Swiss Army Man. He I was think he's great in that. He was, he was pretty good in that. But yeah. that's like it's been the past like two or three years. Yeah, I didn't see Love and Mercy. He's I've heard great he's great in, in that. Love and Mercy. Okay. Um, that's his best role, I would say. And, and, and then like, as things get going and you get in this thriller and it picks up the pace and then it like hits you with the, like, everyone who got the hooks in you with the feels. Oh boy. (laughs) Um, I, guys, I love this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I think there are things that don't entirely work as a lot of times with Bong Joon-ho, um, you know, there's sort of, he, he's so all over the place. And so like, you can kind of get whiplash between, the tones. Um, but that's also what I, I love is I, I feel like I'm always at the edge of my seat because I never know exactly where we're going to go with it. Um, and I, I really, I really enjoy it. I think there are things like I've read some criticism about the ending and about how it like sort of just brushes some stuff under the rug uh, to like give you a more or less happy ending, um, which I get that. It's it's a little. But if it didn't, it would be. I mean, as is, it's devastating enough. Like yeah. if it didn't give you a little bit of a like a nice treat to go out on, then yeah. it would be like fuck that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it would be so, like Jake was with the uh, with the lobster. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. Except if the last 
act was just a miserable. Mi- I'm not going to get into it. No, the last <laughs> act is the best part of the lobster. Jake. You're wrong. You're wrong. But, uh, so my question about about Okja and about really all of uh, all of Bong Joon Ho's work, uh, how much of it is he is a really weird, interesting director, and how much of it is this is how South Korean cinema is because he's the only South Korean filmmaker I've seen any of. You've never any seen anything work. from Park Chan Wook. I don't think so. Uh, you haven't seen Old Boy? Nope. What? We're gonna discuss Old Boy someday. All right. You didn't wait. You didn't watch The Handmaiden? Nope. Wow. Handmaiden is so good. Jake, The Handmaiden. It's on. It's on the Voodoo account. You need to go watch that. It's really good. It's so great. I love The Handmaiden. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's very, very uh, in line with a lot of at least the South Korean cinema that I've seen. And I, I haven't seen a ton, but I've seen. You know, I, I've probably seen. Films from, I would say, at least a half dozen South Korean directors, and they all sort of have that that swing between like uh, there's there's something nice about uh, just the way that they they will approach something like um, like Secret Sunshine, which is this very dour sort of movie about about loss and death that then just like gets sort of goofy and uh, jokey for a little bit, and then gets back to dour and loss and death, like. Um, South Korean cinema doesn't seem to care about a specific staying with a specific tone, which is sort of, I, I know it can be jarring, but I, I find kind of refreshing. Like I mean, just as I was saying, like, cause I never know where it's going to go. So yeah, it's, it's definitely in line. Like I think he is the most from, from what I've seen has maybe the most contrast between just like, we're, we're going to show you something horrifying. We're going to show you something funny. We're going to show you something tragic um, and, and just sort of back and forth and back and forth. Hmm. Um, but definitely, I mean, this is, this is definitely super in line with at least the other stuff of his that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, the, the tone of it is a little whiplashy, but I feel like thematically it's honed in enough. I Mm. mean, as essentially a whole movie is a damning indictment of capitalism and in addition to like the factory farming. And so that kind of is the through line that carries it all the way through so that when you get to the end, you're like, I know what's going to happen here Yeah, because this is capitalism and this is like capitalism, capitalism at its worst in that like people don't matter. Numbers matter and figures matter. And this is, this is how the world works. Look, it's rare that I clearly get a message from a filmmaker like this, but what I learned is GMOs are awesome because they make cool pigs. (laughs) <laughs> so we should all be in favor of G- did, did I did I miss it guys? Absolutely it's- accurate. Okay, um, good. Well, but it also I I appreciate that it's not like it at least I don't think it's super off-putting in its message either. Like no. the way that it presents these uh these animal rights terrorists is like it's not like they're just straight good guys they're 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 sort of they're so disorganized (laughs) they're so goofy they're like they have their own infighting and many many problems with messaging and and everything else so um he's you know he's playing with it not just in a preachy way but in in a more like i think he brings some some human elements to things that uh in in another you know from from another director might feel a little like Oh, I get, I get what you're, I get what you're doing here, and I'm, I'm okay. I get it. I get it. Like, it still felt a little luxury to me. I mean, it kind of, it at some point you have to be if you're going to, if you're going to end where this movie does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This kind of film. Like, there's, there's just no way, there's no way around that. Um, but I think, I, I think it could have been far, far heavier and far, far worse. And you know, I'm just, I'm really excited. This is maybe the first original Netflix quote unquote original Netflix movie I've seen that felt like a movie, like a real, like I wish I would have seen this in a theater. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that. Cause it, it, that's the other thing that was interesting to me. I mean, Darius Conti shot this movie 
and like the cinematography is okay on my TV, like, mm-hmm. on my streaming. Um, I I honestly wasn't too blown away by it. Maybe that was their intent, but it does feel like it's lacking some kind of cinematic thrust when I can be like folding laundry while also watching this. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, there is that like, while I'm glad because I don't know who would have, I mean, Bong Joon-ho, he's been making movies. I, so I, maybe I shouldn't say, I don't know who would fund this movie, but it does seem like a, a bit of a, you know, it's an out there idea. And yeah. I'm glad that Netflix is around to make a movie like this. Although I, I wish I wish it would have gotten a wide release as well. Well, wait until that Scorsese movie comes out. Uh, is, <laughs> is that going to get That's, theatrical as well? Is it going to be day and date? I think it's going to be like Okja and that they've done theatrical screenings of it. My colleague who lives in Atlanta got a theatrical screening of, of Okja. Okay. Um, and I imagine it's playing in a theater or two there. I okay. imagine they're only putting it theatrically for award purposes. Yeah, and the the deal with a lot of these is that like Netflix is more than willing to put it in theaters, but they're not willing to put it in theaters before it goes on the streaming service, and that's where theaters get angry. They're like, yeah. "Well, I'm not just like showing something that someone can watch in their home." Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's been the kind of butting of heads. Well, and they also, I mean, didn't they try that with Beast and No Nation? Yeah, like it had a wide, maybe the widest release of anything else that they've done no but with beasts i know that because that was the first one and beast was tough beast was essentially every theater chain was like no fuck you we're not putting this in theaters and i think it got like maybe like a five screen release at most Mm -hmm. in like select new york and la theaters but that was when like there's a lot of pushback within the industry of this whole netflix thing it seems like it's getting wider distribution now okja it seems like it's the one that's been screened in theaters the most and i imagine when it comes time for scorsese there's going to be a little hemming and hawing, but this is, I mean, this has been an ongoing battle for years now as the home video window keeps closing and getting smaller right. and smaller and things are going to HBO go and stuff like that. Which I mean, honestly, I'll say as a, as a new dad, I love the fact yeah. that there's stuff that came out like earlier in the year that I can, I can rent or stream right now yeah. on, on the, on the computer. But I, you know, I understand I would, I just, I would have loved to see this on the big screen at like at least circle. I mean, I agree. I always rather see a movie on the big screen. And uh, we were all lucky enough to get out and see a movie on the big screen this weekend, and that was Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. We have a review for you coming up next. So here's the thing. I'm looking at some of the country's finest thugs, and of course, young Mozart in a go-kart over there. People love great bank robbery stories. So let's give them something bold and brazen as to talk about over their lattes. What's he listening to? Oh, let me see. Tequila! Edgar Wright's latest film, Baby Driver, is a heist movie, it's an unconventional musical, and it's a crowd pleaser. At the time of this discussion, Baby Driver sits at a whopping 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, with over 150 fresh reviews. Ansel Elgort stars as the titular baby. As a child, he survived a deadly car accident, but was left with a debilitating ringing in his ears. Now, Baby can't go anywhere without the half-dozen iPods he uses to drown out the tinnitus and focus on his job as, you guessed it, a driver. He's the dependable go-to wheel man for a crooked ear, nose, and throat doctor, played by Kevin Spacey, who orchestrates elaborate stick-up jobs all over Atlanta. And that's really all the plot you need to know going into this picture. 
Per his usual MO, Edgar Wright leans into, defies, and reinvents genre convention while doling out that signature kinetic style all over the screen. And yet, as anyone who follows me on Letterboxd already knows, I was not really a fan of this film's visual aesthetic. Despite reteaming with DP Bill Pope, who shot Wright's gorgeous-looking films, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and The World's End, everything in Baby Driver seems to have a cheap, plasticky veneer. If you were to have shown me stills from this film before I saw it, and then asked that I determine if they belonged to a new Edgar Wright movie, or some rando live-action Disney flick from the 90s, I'd be torn. Sure, all the complex composition would certainly scream Edgar Wright. But that color, it's just so uninspired that I'd definitely second-guess myself. Overall, Baby Driver looks way more like Blank Check, a rando live-action Disney movie that Pope shot over 20 years ago, than it does Scott Pilgrim. But guys, I'm curious. Adam, you're on record claiming this movie to be your Star Wars The Force Awakens in terms of anticipation. And Jake, you've stated that this movie was your most anticipated movie of the past several years. So Adam, tell me, why was I wrong not to fall in love with this film at first sight? And Jake? Which combination of jacket, headphones, and sunglasses do you plan to wear for Halloween this year? <laughs> it's it's the jacket with the blue sleeves and the and the and the wayfarers, but I'm not. I hadn't planned it. I mean, I just know that that's what it's. You, gonna you be. hadn't planned it yet. Are you yeah. are you gonna do? I assumed I assumed you would go with the one lens missing. Well, and and if we're being honest, I I actually had rethought it and thought maybe the Jake Gyllenhaal character from Oak Jake. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. did you like that uh, one lens missing? Did your film school pay off for you right there, Chris? It was good. It was yeah. good. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, especially when, like, ten seconds later, somebody's like, look at Bonnie and Clyde here. Or Bonnie and Bonnie. Uh, so, Adam, convince me <laughs> I'm wrong. I don't know, man. I, I, I did. I've been anticipating this movie for a very long time. Edgar Wright is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, I love how much passion he puts into his films. And so going into seeing the movie, I mean, it was after all the positive response. So I, I felt like there's no way this movie can live up to my pipe, my anticipation. I'm going to be let down. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised to find that I just, I fell head over heels in love with it. It's uh, I mean, part of it could possibly, I mean, part of it's absolutely due to my love for Edgar Wright, but I also really love musicals. I love classic Hollywood musicals. And this just felt to me, someone put the question to me who had seen it was like, what genre is this? I don't understand what he was doing. And to me, it just feels like this is a musical through and through like full stop. This is a musical. Like from the very beginning, he is mouthing words. Every move he makes is in step. It's, it's a musical. I think even Guillermo del Toro compared it to an American in Paris. It's, it's Hmm. very um, dance like. And so, Yes, there's action. Yes, there's drama. Yes, there's romance. But I, I feel like all of those are in service of this as an idea of a musical. The action sequences are the musical sequences and him dancing is kind of in step with that. Um, and it just felt I, I got really swept up in it. It, it felt uh, surprising. I mean, it took turns that I wasn't expecting, which I yeah. was thankful for, for not being spoiled in the trailers. But they didn't feel like twists for twists sake. Um, they felt uh inherent to this story as this kid who um you know he's using the music to separate himself from these thugs to to be like i'm their getaway driver but i'm not as bad as them and so he's wrapped up in this life that he shouldn't be in and and it's kind of his journey of understanding that he has to get out he has to pull himself out of that um i don't know i just felt i mean i loved it i i really love this movie yeah first first chris you're you're totally wrong and we'll cover that in detail (laughs) later but as far as genre goes the implementation was a, a musical, but I thought plot-wise was much closer to something like a fairy tale. D- did, hmm. did you did you did anybody else pick up on that at all? 
I can see that a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. Can you elaborate on that? It just felt like he was he was sort of your prince. He found his his princess, but he had all these uh, sort of moral tests to overcome in a way. Hmm. It's and funny you say that because Guillermo del Toro described it as a fable and described hmm. baby as a prince. Interesting. Really. Yeah, yeah, he said that that was important to him to understand to like connecting to this movie is understanding that it is a fable. See, and that it that felt actually more like a sort of him trying to get out of this and everything felt more like a noir film to me, like a the the guy who starts sort of more or less clean and then just gets dirtier and dirtier as as he gets deeper and deeper because like yeah. as baby sort of becomes more and more involved in um, the actions and, you know, initially it is just, he's removed, he's doing his song and dance thing, you know, dancing with the car almost as they're yeah. robbing banks. And then, and then people start dying and then people start dying in front of him. Yeah. And then it becomes this escalated where like, how do you, how do you get out of it? Which is very much like a, a noir convention. But I mean, that's also the thing of Edgar Wright is he's so steeped in knowledge of genres and conventions and everything that he, he I mean, he may be mashing all of that, all of these things to together as well. And, and, you know, finding the way that it all, um, it all fits. I, I will say like, I, while I, I really don't like the, the way this movie looks, especially like the daylight stuff, the daylight stuff just feels very boring. Like, like, uh, someone like when you go into Best Buy and they have the TV turned to the thing where it's like, Oh, super saturated and super <laughs> contrasty. That's sort of what all the daylight stuff here looks like. The more See, I saw other people complaining about the nighttime stuff. Cause it had so much noise in it. No, I, I, I liked the nighttime stuff a lot more. The parking garage stuff, the, the stuff in, um, in, in the, wherever the warehouse area, um, that'll, that'll work fine for me. Um, the, his apartment with, with his, uh, foster father felt very much like a TV set, like the way it was, yeah, the way it was lit or like, or like an early Tarantino film. Um, but, and, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not a huge thing, but it's something that can kind of draw me out of a movie. I feel like you're missing the forest for the camera that was used to take a picture of the forest. Well, like but, it, there was still some great stuff going on, Chris. Well, there was, and, and there is, I mean, that, that opening scene is just amazing like the the choreography of that that chase was fantastic i i don't know if we get any action that lives up to that following um there and there there are some good moments but the i don't know if, fights are fun i i don't i mm-hmm. don't know if there's anything just as i mean when when he's moving that car around and whipping it you know yeah. down alleys and and quick i mean and and that's the type of thing that we've particularly over the past, you know, since like Italian job or something, we've, we've seen, you know, James Bond movies and, and born movies doing things like this, but, um, not this well, like, and, and that's because, you know, Edgar Wright is so much about the composition and he knows his edits before he shoots them. And, and you can feel that here. And that's, you don't think that's any of the sequences great. are better than the opening. Do you want to roll spoilers and uh, answer a question? Or did it? Or didn't it? I don't know. Spoiler alert! Here come the spoilers alert! Close your ears if you don't want to hear a spoiler alert right now. 
So you didn't think when uh, when when he took to his feet and was doing his free running, you didn't think that was as exciting as the opening. I thought it, I thought it was good. I don't think it was as good. Like it didn't it didn't get me as just hyped as that. Oh, opening that that one had chase. my heart pumping because he he, he to to quote the TV that uh, in classic Edgar Wright style spelled out the remainder of the plot. Yeah. the the writer had lost his mount and had to proceed on foot. Right. Uh, and so he really had lost that shell that he had been in. You know, he, he uh, lost his weapon, the thing that made him great, and had to just run on foot. That that was, I, I loved it, and I loved how he was just running over things and taking these long strides on tabletops and over yeah. bushes. And Right, and I'm, and I'm not saying that that was bad. Like, I, I enjoyed, I thoroughly enjoyed the foot chase. Um, it's just like, this to me felt like maybe maybe is least ambitious. And I know that's like, I, I know you guys aren't going to agree. I know I'm not, <laughs> not going to be able to convince you, but there were, there were just so many things that um, I didn't catch. And maybe, you know, maybe it'll be one of those that I, I go back and revisit. And there's so much about Edgar Wright that is rewarding the rewatch and, and kind of seeing how he pieces stuff together. So maybe I'll come back around to it um, after seeing it again. But I don't know. I was, I was kind of cold on it. Like I felt like the ensemble was generally other than, other than baby and Deborah was sort of flat. Um, John Hamm wasn't really that interesting. See, I felt Jamie Foxx. I I haven't been that excited about a Jamie Foxx performance since like in, I guess Django, but I thought Jamie Foxx was incredible in this. I, I thought he was the best of the, the thugs, but like, I, I don't know. It, it, it just felt like they were, they served their purpose, but weren't expanded upon in a way that I would expect. And, and, you know, honestly, part of this is probably holding Edgar Wright to a higher standard than, than most. And, and so there is like, I explicitly want, like, I know what he's capable of. And so it just, it let me, it let me down a bit in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Let me go nitpick some performances real quick. Cause I, 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 first off, Ansel Elgort's fine. He's fine. That's it. He's, he's, uh, I think he's better than fine. I think he's perfect for this movie. I don't think Ansel Elgort is a great actor and I didn't necessarily understand why he was chosen for this. I remember when the casting came out, I was really disappointed because I was like, it's Edgar Wright's new movie and it's starring Ansel Elgort. Like, really? Yeah. And and when when he first started talking, I was like, is he just trying to be Elvis? Like, what's a baby? B-A-B-Y. Well, I think, I think what's key to his casting and what makes him perfect for this role is that every move he makes everything he does has a rhythm to it mm-hmm. you can you buy the fact that this guy is in his own head singing dancing doing something else but also paying attention to what's happening well and sh- even more explicitly that opening or the scene after the opening scene where he goes and gets the coffee, coffee run yeah like, yes. and, and he sells it it's kind of goofy and it's a little mm-hmm. aloof but it doesn't come off as squirrely and it also doesn't come out come off as like I'm a badass. I'm so yeah. confident. Look, I, I I know the problem. It's Baby Driver. His name is Baby. The script was wrote for Baby, and they needed somebody with a baby face. Yeah, it's and, hard and he, to get. He pulls it off. He does. Like he does. I I think I think he's fine. But I mean, there. I don't know. I I of of all the performances, he bothered me maybe the least. Like it felt it felt very purposeful and intentional to this movie. Okay. okay uh, next nitpick. Uh, Lily, Lily James, she, 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 she did good. I actually liked her, but this is something I find sometimes when like a, a, when you, when a director who doesn't have the accent that someone's playing, 
directs them. She definitely slipped in the key word that I notice all the time when British people try to do American accents, which is anything. She definitely said anything once or twice. Yeah, and, the 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 Lily James and Ansel Elgort trying to do Southern accents didn't work too well. It wasn't great. It, <laughs> it was, really wasn't. Well, it wasn't consistent. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was sort of, if they would have stuck with a baseline it would have been it would have been better i also he's not british is that right no okay for no. some reason throughout watching it i thought he was british and i i saw an interview um with him and i was like oh wait you're just yeah. just a average white dude but when you have a british director and you're trying to get a british actor to do an american accent you can't hear some of the subtleties and so i i want to blame that on on edgar wright but i mean surely there's a dialect coach there got to be somebody else, but anyway, uh, I thought I thought Spacey did really well. The, the worst performance, and I don't know how uh, how Wright didn't do a better job at this. I, his uh, John Bernthal uh, Griff in the very first scene, the one who's like, "What's wrong with them?" Yeah, it was almost cringeworthy. Just for a second, I was like, "Ooh, what movie am I watching?" Yeah, but and maybe that's I mean that's emblematic of this. I I feel like. I, I trust Edgar Wright enough that I feel like I must be wrong about not liking the way this movie looks. I, I feel like there must be a reason. I have a counter to that, that, that he um, chose to make it feel a little, a little boring and vanilla. I just haven't been able to crack why. Like, and that, that's the thing that I've been in search of since seeing it is like, okay, if I can understand like what his point is, what he's trying to get at with making it look this way because i'm sure i'm sure he just wasn't like oh we gotta ship it they 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 moved up the release date so (laughs) whatever like just cut out coloring it'll be fine i'm sure i'm sure there's a reason there i just haven't been able to to get around it and so you know I'm, i'm in this weird place where i legitimately didn't like it but i'm also like putting the blame on myself because I just, I know he's that intentional about everything he does. Well, it felt to me purposeful. It felt like um, the film is a little bit muted color wise and a little understated until Deborah comes in. And specifically like once Deborah starts coming into his life, you go into the laundromat, each dryer has different like yeah, colors yeah. in mm-hmm. it. And so the Tec- color is coming. Color, yeah. Technicolor yeah. Uh, laundromat, um, which that felt like straight out of a Gene Kelly movie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The like it felt like so these car chases that are happening are super exciting and like they're like on edge, but it felt like it was presented a little flatly to kind of uh like underline the fact that like this isn't what he should be doing. This isn't necessarily bringing him life. This is you know not the world he needs to be in. And once you bring Deborah into the fold, you get some color and bring some like different um different colors into his life i suppose and then moving through the ending the third act is a little heavier on color especially when it comes to um like cop lights and stuff like that yeah that made sense to me it also it, also uh to support that the last shot uh he walks out to her in black and white who then brings color all into that yeah. shot yeah sure but but i don't think the opening is all that muted like that the red of that subaru is very 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 red but to th- a point, I think the that, reds are strong. But to maybe a point, to, that there's like to, no to, subtlety to it. <laughs> like that's and that's where it feels like like somebody put, punched up the contrast and saturation um, and said this this looks great because it's something. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's like not there's not finesse and detail to the color um, that that I feel like um, has been in. Like if this was a first movie, I think I could honestly let it let it pass. 
but it feels like it feels like a step backwards to me in in a lot of ways. Well, and and I, his I, work I, with Pope before in World's End and Scott Pilgrim is much more colorful. So I'm curious yeah. to hear that uh, he always does a, a commentary with uh, his cinematographer on the Blu-rays, yeah. and I know he recorded one with Pope for this. So I'm curious to hear them talk about. Yeah, visually I, how they I approach. Definitely it. want to hear because maybe that's the key to unlocking me <laughs> appreciating appreciating this more. Um, but it's no, it, I I didn't I didn't hate this film. I it's just it's honestly it's probably my least favorite Edgar Wright movie. Um, so well, it might be my least favorite Edgar Wright movie too because <laughs> he made four of my favorite movies ever. Right, but uh, I'm still processing it, and like all Edgar Wright movies, I need to see it a second time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I left Hot Fuzz thinking that was good, but it's no Shaun of the Dead, which is still what I think. But yeah. it now I love it, and I know it's no Shaun of the Dead. Hot Fuzz takes a weird like yeah. Lady Killer's turn at the very end, <laughs> though, where it's just like, oh, we're doing this movie now. Yeah, you have to buy yeah. into that turn, and it, yeah. it did again. Like he's so meticulous that you go back and rewatch it, and you're like, of course, like yeah, all of this, all makes of sense. it, all yeah. of it. Is World's like End totally I found was his most challenging for me because it took me a really? minute to clue in to I liked it afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite of all of his movies really? of all of his movies. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but I I really I, I love that movie. I love the thematic thrust of that movie and I love the mm-hmm. dramatic. I think it's his stuff. most like emotionally rich yes. movie. Because yeah. like that's that's the like he puts front and center this friendship and this like mm-hmm. everything going on with uh, Gary King and mm-hmm. and his like working out his demons with sci-fi robots yeah happening like all around and Simon Pegg is so good in that movie yeah yes. he gives such a great performance Scott where- Pilgrim is honestly the one where I have trouble like I don't love Scott Pilgrim I I didn't love Scott Pilgrim upon I enjoyed it but I was I didn't wasn't head over heels with it upon first viewing it's it's one of those that repeat viewing just yeah. gets better and better and better yeah, and better yeah. for me. Where where the other movies feel uh, more emotional or whatever, this one feels more like it is his technical playground. He he is like I'm going to show you expert uh, editing and shot construction and 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 stunts mm-hmm. and all these other things. It is a technical tour de force. Yeah, and and maybe that's a part of it for me too as well. I mean, it, it sort of feels like there's a bit of a rigidness, like a like a student's thesis paper or something that like. I there he's he's doing everything well, but I I'm not sure I feel like he does it better than I've seen him do it before. Um, so I which I know is not it's not astounding criticism, but um, it's it's like it's my Darjeeling limited, I guess. Like I still, I still enjoy it. You mean your it. favorite it's not Wes as Anderson bad as movie? Darjeeling. <laughs> oh, you will fist fight over this one. I love Darjeeling limited. I don't hate Darjeeling, but. It's it, it's it's messy. <laughs> it's got issues, but it, but it also has great moments and great things to, and that, and that's kind of where I I feel this lands for me. Um, not his strongest work. I thought I thought we were coming in to to pile crap on Chris for hating how this movie looked. I didn't know I was going to be on the defensive for Darjeeling Limited. What's your What's your favorite Wes Anderson? Is it Darjeeling, Darjeeling Limited? Interesting. Yeah. I've it's, never met a Darjeeling. <laughs> well, but it's his first Wes Anderson as well. Is that right? No, Jake? I'd seen a uh, uh, Zisu. Oh, okay. Well, that yeah. changes everything. <laughs> I, I had seen it when I was in high school, and I was like, "What is this? What's this guy doing with movies? That's so weird." <laughs> but that should have been your hook. Like, I feel like for because Zisu was the first thing that I ever saw in a theater that I remember being grandly disappointed in, and because I like I knew Rushmore and I knew uh, the Royal Ten Bombs by heart, and mm-hmm. going into that, I was just like, 
it's just like a sad guy that like, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get how like darkly funny it was. And, and then, um, and then going back to it again and again, like it's only grown or like, I, I do think like now life aquatic is a perfect film. It's for, for the film that he set out to make. I think he hits everything on the head. I find that that movie really tough to for me to like really? actually finish. Really? Yeah, yeah, I need to see it. I haven't seen it. A it's ton. on Netflix right now. Fantastic and Moonrise are my two favorites. I go back and forth on those, but I think that uh, to tie it back into Baby Driver, uh, like Wes Anderson, I think he's an exemplary filmmaker. I think he does exactly what he's wanting to do. There is some dynamism in his filmography, but mostly he sticks to what he does and no one else does that. Mm -hmm. I feel like with Baby Driver, Edgar Wright is doing stuff that he had never done before. And I think it shows, I liked it. I mean, I felt like it worked. I I felt like he was showing off even some more dramatic stuff. I mean, The World's End is very dramatic and I think at heart is probably more dramatic than Baby Driver, but on the surface is not because it's robots and Mm -hmm. it's still Simon Pegg and Nick Frost cracking jokes and it ends with them, you know, like running around an apocalypse. Like, right. And also what's interesting about all of Edgar Wright's films is that, and he pointed this out as well, is that those, the Cornetto trilogy, they all end like not great. They, they don't have happy endings. You, they feel happy, but they aren't happy. Like Hot Fuzz ends in like essentially fascism. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, his friend is dead and World's End, uh, you know, Simon Pegg is gone off uh, on his own and still trying to recapture his childhood. Baby Driver, I felt has, it's, it's more romantic. It doesn't follow that same track. It's much more a romance, which I think isn't fitting with the musical aspect. So when, when we got to the laundromat scene, I actually like wrote my notes. I was like, how does this movie end happy? Like I (laughs) just like adding up everything that he's in. And I guess probably also because I'm, I was at this point on the line of like it feeling like, like a noir. Yeah. um, It almost felt like as they, as their, their relationship starts to grow and, um, and you see that it's more than just infatuation. Like I, I started to actually get worried because I was, I like, was super tense in this movie I, with I, all of mm-hmm. the stuff relating to Deborah. That yeah. that scene in the diner with John Hamm and Jamie Foxx, like I was physically upset. Like it, I didn't want them to hurt her. That feels like another noir moment. Like, yeah. it, and it feels like like the killers, or it feels like a history of violence. Um, there's there's a lot of diners in noir where very bad things happen. Yeah, or or very tense things happen. So like I I. Yeah, like the the tension there was really palatable and great. Um, so yeah, and um, I do I you know as much as I didn't care for him much in this, I did love his final line where the cop comes up to him and and asks him, "Hey, are you shot?" and says, "Yeah." Turns around, shoots him in the gut right there. Like it's <laughs> such a it's such a bad cheesy sort of like. 80s thing. That's that's not even his final line, Chris. Did you see this movie? Oh fuck, you're right. Yeah, Man. that's not his final line. No. But I did love it as his final line. Sorry, <laughs> you thought he was dead when I, you, you wrote thought he was note. dead. You thought he was dead, but apparently he's like a superhuman zombie guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, once the bull starts charging, he never stops. As that's true. Did again, I did. I did like him. Movie. I did like him stalking them with the car. It felt very. You're seeing all of Edgar Wright's influences on display in kind of a Tarantino way, but not in a fetishistic way. Yeah, Edgar's very much like. I understand this reference, but here's my spin on it. Whereas Tarantino is like, yes. look at this. I copied yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> look at, look Ed, Ed at how really using those as tools yeah. to tell his story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, I, you know, initially I was kind of put off by the fact that we get a, a like car chase movie that doesn't end in a car chase, but that final, like, because the, the tension escalates to a whole different movie 
by the end. Yeah. And so that, that final garage sequence is really like it, you know, as much as I, I would have loved to have another great like bookend chase. I think it is the right way to, to close this. Yeah. Like, it ends as a car fight. It's not it a car yeah. chase. It's a car fight. <laughs> <laughs> Better than any of those stupid fast and furious movies. I wouldn't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen a single one. I, I've seen like two and a half of them. Three okay. maybe. <laughs> You yeah. should see Fast Five. In the I've seen five. Game. Five is good. That, that's the five one is with, fun. It's that's silly. That's the one in Rio with the banks. Yeah, right? it's yeah. cartoonish. Yeah. And then what? after that, they're like, oh, we're going to take ourselves seriously now. I what like, what no. I liked about uh, this movie is that uh, because they were actually like doing heists and robbing banks, they went with a bunch of low-key cars instead of these sex machine cars. Uh, apparently, the studio even asked him to like make it make it a sexier car than a Corolla. So he went up to that Subaru for the opening scene. Well, in the Subaru, but it's still sort of a like it's sort of a wienery car. It's not Apparently it's, not awful. it's a gearhead car. I saw Edgar was recounting he was saying that he's friendly with Ryan Gosling and, uh-huh. and I actually heard him on a podcast before talking about how so this idea for this movie had been in his head for a long time, but he signed a deal to do this in the world's end at the same time. So he wrote the script and very purposefully wanted to get the draft of the script done before drive came out. Cause mm. he was super worried mm. that drive mm. was going to be this movie. And then he saw it and he was like, Oh, it's fine. Yeah. But, um, I guess at CinemaCon earlier this year, um, he was standing next to Ryan Gosling and Ryan Gosling was saying he wanted to see baby driver. And he was like, you're about to see the first five minutes of it. And so they showed it and Ryan Gosling was like, Oh man, you got a Subaru. And he was like, gearheads love Subarus. <laughs> And Interesting. Apparently, that's a thing. I, I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> Jake, let me ask you this. Would you have rather seen Baby Goose Driver? Yes. 100%. <laughs> and, and that could have been the second entry in his Driver trilogy. I, I don't see the problem here. Could still be the second entry in his Driver trilogy. Yeah. That would have been yeah. kind of funny if, if this was Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> or if you cast I, Ryan Gosling in the John Hamm part. Actually, yeah, that he he may have brought something better to it because that was the thing. It's like I I really want John Hamm to succeed post Don Draper. Yeah, but I just don't think he's been used properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked him more in this movie than you two seem to have. I liked him all right, but oh, I no, agree I, that I, I don't think no. anyone's really found out what to do. Figured out what to, I feel comedy. like this movie it's figures comedy. out more. But yeah, I guess so. I I liked him in this movie. I I think the problem was some of the, some of the shots of him. He's he's still Don Draper, even with the beard. When oh. she's when when uh when Deborah's pouring that coffee for him, and he's like that. That's enough. Like it was just a pure Don Draper moment. It's gonna oh, be did, hard to overcome that. I didn't I didn't get any Draper vibes, but it it didn't. I don't know. He didn't wow me. What'd you think about uh Kevin Sp- Kevin Sp- ear nose and throat doctor Chris? Was he not an ear nose and throat doctor? He definitely had at least two times when he mentioned like someone with a sinus problem or someone like i i just assume that like he's because Chris, he also there's this drug people do called cocaine oh they needed cocaine that's how he got the, <laughs> the, the the key card or the uh the the floor plans because I, it was somebody with a a, a, a sinus problem oh. yeah he was mentioning that they knew someone with the sinus problem. i just thought for some reason the people who come to him he's such a good doctor that they give him information about the places that <laughs> this one you know, guy <laughs> that makes that makes well and and also i thought edgar wright would be it was like zany enough to like try to pull that off like i guess sort of sort of like in uh Pinching, uh, uh, I guess, sort of, sort of like inherent vice with um, Martin Short, oh, his whole like, <laughs> yes. dentistry thing. I think that was the line of thinking that I was. I love on. that movie so much. Way, way off. Um, okay, that makes that makes way more sense. I legitimately thought it was just like he had patients that would come in and give him information, and then also because he was a stand-up guy in the like uh, 
in the larger, you know, town of Atlanta, like he was able to bring cops under his influence. Like I had, I had created a whole nother backstory for him. He, he does all the cops nose jobs. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, you're, so they all go to him. Occam's razor says that you are correct though. Are we yeah, fully that's... into spoilers at this point? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Into spoilers. Um, cause I had a quite one minor quibble I had about this is that I didn't necessarily buy doc so easily turning at the end. To like, I'll take care of you, baby. Like, essentially, oh. like, I'll lay my life down to let you get away, baby. I've, I've been thinking about it. Um, and on one hand, it makes it like he, Edgar Wright did enough legwork that like it makes sense on the page that like he's essentially raised this kid. And so. Well, and, and I, 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 hook, line, and sinker actually bought that. I thought it yeah. was a nice, charming subversion. It's nice. It's interesting. Um, it's very different. And, and it, no, I, I, I totally bought into it. Like, okay. I thought it was more like, so he's he's leading you down the opposite path for who Doc is, but has given you, like you've said, enough of those little breadcrumbs and nuggets that once it happened, you know, I start going through the Rolodex of like, oh, the the interaction they've had. He's legitimately like it seems like at the the um, uh, restaurant outside the restaurant. He's intimidating baby when yeah. he says, you well, know, he it's your to choice. break both of his legs but, and kill everybody. He, knows. <laughs> yeah. he does. You know what? He does do that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think they have they they have a complex relationship. Yes. The, uh, the fathers thing and was, sons. I, I bought it. It made sense to me, but I did leave. And for the next few days, I was thinking like, did did he cause the original accident? Is that why he feels guilty? Did he love did he love baby's mom? Did like I, I went through a bunch of things trying to make sure none of that was supported in in the film itself. Yeah. No, I think he just was in love once. Yeah, I I think maybe we all, or at least you and me, Jake, are are definitely victim to like because it's an Edgar Wright movie analyzing a little deeper than necessary <laughs> in some cases. Like he has that nephew who's just randomly there. Oh, that nephew was so good. That was funny. So that was great. a nice touch. And yeah. and the and to the musical point, the the whole moment with Dolly and, and talking about yeah. the 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 Dolly Pardon lyrics, and then you you get when everything goes bad, you get the rain. And then you get the the rainbow at the end yeah. just before he mm-hmm. goes off to jail. Yeah. But um, you know, that that was a nice, you know, we get the rainbow coming out of jail, right? Or does he get it coming out I of so. No, I, I guess out. you're I guess you're right. In I the, was I was thinking it was going over the bridge. Which apparently is an ambiguous ending. Um per, Yeah, I thought I thought he maybe could have been dreaming. Per I can't remember if it was a Reddit AMA or an interview um Edgar did, but he said that he had learned enough from test screenings to know that like it's better to and okay. I think he was referring okay. to test screenings on this film, but to let people believe what they wanted to believe and that it wasn't his job to tell them what I took it as at face value is that he got out on parole. Yeah, I, I got but a the feel fact with that it started as that black and white shot of her that we had seen in a fantasy earlier. I could see it also be exactly. him. But living but in his fantasy. But if it's more sinister, wouldn't baby also have a worse time in jail than we saw? Yeah. So, so <laughs> he's not I'm, a bad kid. Chris. I'm firmly, I'm firm. No, that's not what I mean, Jake. <laughs> I am firmly on the side of believing that baby, baby got out and lived happily ever after with Deborah. That's that's where that's where I want to leave it. Yes. <laughs> um, do you guys want to talk about favorite parts? Sure, sure. Okay, I'll go first because I've sort of been the perpetual hater of this. So um, dole out a little, a little more love. I absolutely loved the. I think it's the first sort of plan montage that we see where Spacey's going over the the second heist with Jamie Foxx and um and all of them and um you know it, it ends with uh I think it's Jamie Foxx saying he didn't hear anything and uh he baby goes through the list of everything. But that's not what I love. 
I longtime listeners of the show know that I have a strange infatuation with the play with diegetic and non-diegetic sound. And I have never seen someone present something where the music is simultaneously diegetic and non-diegetic. So it's it is the montage for everything going on in the uh, in, in this little moment and allows you to push time ahead. But at the same time, it is the non-diegetic music to what baby is because of the way that he's dancing and moving to the beat, what he is listening to. And I like that, that really thrilled me. Um, it's a, it's a little thing. It's a little, like really has no bearing on, uh, the larger movie as a whole, but it's the type of thing that I've grown to expect from Edgar Wright little, just like taking everything above and beyond, um, what the base value, because another, you know, just a basic like heist movie would have been like, Oh, we got to get through the exposition. Okay. Throw some music in. Yeah. Yeah. And, that was good. I liked how the, the music, like when he was like fake playing the piano and stuff, mm-hmm. it, it looked like, uh, Kevin Spacey's talking was the music, you yeah. know, he was talking the piano parts and all that. That was really cool. We, we criminally under addressed music and the role that it plays in this. Yeah. Like when he takes an earphone earbud out of one ear, how the music's all panned to, ear that he's hearing it in yeah uh all of that stuff was really really great the gunshots to the music we 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 didn't talk about that at all i mean i think nearly, kind of did nearly in saying, enough how that's that my whole thing it may a... come up in my favorite parts oh, okay okay <laughs> all right well why don't you when you when you mentioned the chalkboard i thought you were you were going to talk about the fuck you science uh scene where kevin space was like <laughs> look at that i just wrote the entire thing on the chalkboard <laughs> the entire fucking plan on the chalkboard um yeah, I think I mean the, I have a lot of favorite parts in this movie. I'm I'm obsessed with the Beach Boys, so I loved the "Let's Go Away for a While" scene in the diner. Um, but I was like gleeful at the tequila scene with when like because I it was like tequila, and I was like, "This is fun." And then when the gun started shooting, and every gunshot was to the beat of tequila, I was like, yeah. "This is amazing." Yeah. Uh, although I was because we had spoken earlier, you you had said you know I think it was back when when we had you on for. Yeah. Uh, 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 that Rio Bravo, um, that they were, you know, timing everything yeah. to, to music. Um, I was expecting, I guess, longer takes. I mean, obviously like it's, it is incredible that it was, it was all timed out, but a lot of this ended up just being like, it was edited very well yeah, yeah, yeah. to the, to the music, but I mean, still the coffee run is a great long take. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 Insane. But even if, when it comes down to like, you know, when they take over the car, like the car door beeps is on beat to right. the music that's happening. It's, it's incredible. Did, did you see the little segment where, um, they, I think it's, it, it's the opening scene compared to the storyboard and how oh, no, uh-huh. the, the bell bottoms is, um, kind of, I mean, he basically, he had the entire thing storyboarded to the song yeah, and so it was just, you know, time it all out exactly the same pace that, that I have it here and, and go. I need um, to see that. So it was, it was very, I'll, I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. I'll, I'll send it to you. Cool. Uh, very well, very well plotted. So speaking of that tequila scene, uh, we did talk about what I thought was maybe the best performance in the in the movie, which is the monologue from Paul Williams, aka the Butcher. <laughs> yeah, who who gives this great great long dialogue uh, or monologue about the guns and using the metaphor for all of them before he just immediately bites it. Well, and that's that's one of those things that I feel like if Tarantino had written that bit, it would have been about three times longer yes. and far more embellished. And <laughs> yes, and Edgar Wright just gets he has his fun, but he gets to the point. Yeah. Also, every time Paul Williams shows up in a movie just for a second, I'm like, Bud Court isn't. No, but no, it's not. <laughs> Mini <mind>. Bud Court. <laughs> yep. It's Bud Court is so short these days. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of dynamism. I mean, seeing the trailers, it was you 
you don't even fully understand the the different lineups of the the heist teams and so i was pleasantly surprised to see it change locations to do that that arm steel scene yeah um nighttime scenes in the car going into the diner like there were like three or four diner scenes but they all feel different mm-hmm. I, I i know we're kind of wrapping up here but what what did you guys what was your take on the uh the butcher scene like i totally thought that it was a setup and that kevin spacey at this point is just trying to tie up loose ends and get rid of everyone no no, you didn't. Jamie, Jamie Foxx is unhinged. Well, I, and I get that that's what it was. And that's my, what I thought the entire every every single okay. scene is just showing him being freaking Ratcheting, nuts. Yeah, he yeah. just killed a lady and to steal some gum. Like he, <laughs> right? He, he he was out to anyway. That, so that was my I I had I had a brief moment where like when everything went down when you see the Atlanta PD because that was the thing that confirmed like maybe something sketchy is actually yeah. maybe it is a setup and Doc had you know just revealed that I almost never work with the same team and he had sent Baby to get rid of the the body of uh, JD I think yeah. the, the Asian guy so he's proven that he's willing to kill anyone willy nilly mm-hmm. he's just gotten done with Baby as far as like he's paid off. So I I was thinking like okay he's just gonna he's just gonna get rid of all of them and I hadn't thought about that but that would make sense except for his love for baby I don't think he would let baby die but we hadn't really gotten to that point yet like we had I don't think like it'd been had, totally baby revealed was his good luck charm I took that all at face value yeah okay okay so so that can bring me to my more. favorite thing. There may be more in rewatching, though. There may be some little nibbles along the way. Okay, that's that, that was totally that was totally my read initially. Was like, I I thought it was almost a redemption moment for Jamie Fox, um, uh, like him I, him I, catching it, and then <laughs> he was despicable. <laughs> he, no, was, he was just truly so awful. good and so good at it. I <laughs> yes. totally bought it. I was terrified of him. I I I disliked him the entire time, but especially when he made fun of him for listening to Queen. That's just yeah. over. That's just over the line uh so so my favorite thing there's a bunch of things that i liked like too many to list and i almost went with the relationship between baby and his foster dad yeah because i liked literally every one of those scenes i thought that was done really really well but i think i I think i just like kevin spacey's performance the best that that might have been just every line he gave but especially when he uh said stop feeding me lines from monsters inc oh my gosh (laughs) really good it's pissing me off really good it was maybe maybe the the funniest thing I've seen in a movie this year. Like the amount of time I laughed at that was ridiculous. Yeah, and Kevin Spacey can he's you know over the past decade or so kind of gotten into this uh, place where he just sort of plays the the smart a hole and can mm-hmm. kind of phone that in. But he he does he does it pretty well here. He really ties the room together. In this he one. really ties the room together. <laughs> We here at War Starts at Midnight do not condone drinking and driving, but we do condone drinking and baby driving. So, here with the beer recommendation, as always, is Chris Gallagher. Well, thank you for that formal introduction, Jake. Um, so I kind of had to call an audible on this because I actually, I wrote my recommendation before uh, I saw the movie. And then as you just heard was not, you know, I didn't hate it, but I was a little disappointed. So I'm, I'm going to save 
that that beer that I was going to uh, recommend for another date. Um, we are now into the summer of sours. Um, so I, I'm coming at you with another sour. This time, probably probably a style that we're going to be seeing a lot of over the course of uh, over the course of the summer, um, which is the Goza, which is sort of the the entry level, like, um, if you're familiar with sour beers at all, this is probably what you've been drinking. Um, Adam has just been drinking, um, a, a fine goza. Uh, it's I, quite tasty. It is quite tasty. Um, I, I've been drinking another, the, the one that I was actually going to recommend, but I will say for another time, what I'm recommending to pair with baby driver is briny melon goza from Anderson Valley Brewing Company. And, uh, this beer is like, like a lot of these sours coming in at a lower 4.2 ABV, which sort of makes it a perfect summer beer. You know, you can have a cookout, grill out, have, have several, um, defining characteristic of the Goza is, uh, it is as the style would suggest, uh, sour, um, and, and, but has a really nice, you know, will will hit you up front and then kind of has a very clean finish. Um, and, and this is definitely, uh, characteristic of that, but as the name would suggest, it has this slight little, uh, melony flavor to it. And it's not, it's not like a syrupy, like, oh, we've injected, you know, it's not like a Leinenkugel lemon or something like that. Just, just a slight, you know, in the middle of it, um, you, you have a nice little, uh, very mild watermelon, um, flavor that, that adds a little bit of a twist, a little bit of sweetness in the pucker, uh, which is very nice. And, um, you know, I think with the, the things that I enjoyed most about baby driver, I think are the, um, the, the slight subversions and the lighter aspects to it. Uh, so I think, I think this will pair nicely. That is briny melon goza from Anderson Valley. Baby driver is currently playing at movie theaters nationwide. If you've seen it, tell us your thoughts at hello at war starts at midnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail telling me why I'm so wrong at four, eight, four, four, two, four, six, three, six, two. That's four, eight, four, four cinema. So very wrong. Stick around. We'll be back after the break with my recap of week five in the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League spring season. Measure everything in horsepower. You're getting paid by the hour. American by birth, but you're Southern by the grace of God. One, two, three. The truck is outside full of gasoline. You sit inside with the doesn't look like you're going anywhere soon Won't you wipe that smile off your face Too damn happy all over the place I will hunt for you in the early morning And have you on my wall by the afternoon And now it's time for the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League Recap. Each week, Chris and I compete with you, the listeners, in a fantasy sports-style game to best spend a thousand imaginary bucks to fill a virtual eight-screen cineplex with real-world movies where the weekend box office determines the winner. If you aren't already playing along, it's never too late to join. Visit wsampod.com slash fantasymovieleague to sign up and get all the details. So let's dive into our recap of week five of the summer season. 
We like to build mystery here at War Starts at Midnight, and that means doing things like writing creative FML recaps each week that delay saying the perfect Cineplex until deep into the segment, building suspense and making a little moment out of it. Well, this week we spoil the perfect Cineplex in the episode title. It's Baby Driver, and that's it. Yeah, uh, eight screens of Baby Driver ran away from the competition, grossing about $21 million this week. Yes, Despicable Me 3 did make $72 million, but with Baby Driver's attractive price of $110 bucks, meant that you could play $880 worth of Baby Driver and $120 worth of nothing and get the perfect Cineplex. This violates rule number three of FML Nerd's three golden rules for perfect Cineplexes, which is spend at least $950. Bucks. Only 11 times, well, now 12, has the perfect Cineplex been under $950, bucks, and this is the fifth time that it has been an 8x play. So the last 8x play for perfect Cineplex also cost $880. Bucks. Do you have any guesses, Chris? The only 8x best Cineplex that I can even remember is Deadpool, and that was before we were playing, but I think there's been one since then. I don't know. I'm going to guess Moonlight. It is it is Deadpool. You are right. Oh, okay. Um, because the the first four times it happened, I went and did, did some research on this. Less one happened since the start of this season that I don't remember, and I don't think that's true. Uh, there was one the very first week of FML, and then two at the end of the first season. But they have since got their pricing in line so that that really doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Uh, just Deadpool came out of nowhere. But so spring 2016, week two, Deadpool, it's also an R-rated fun flick. So the next time one of those shows up and costs 110 bucks, play the crap out of it. I mean, that's obviously what those movies have in common. Put all your worms in one can, maybe? <laughs> in, in any case, uh, 1,982 players found the simple, perfect Cineplex this week. I was not one of those smart people, polluting my baby driver Cineplex with a screen of Transformers. Uh, it was the number two Cineplex, but that's not worth very much here. No, the $189 million perfect Cineplex winner was only found by one player in our league, Cineplex, all my worms in one can. Her shtick for this year is playing the most expensive movie she can play eight times in her Cineplex every week. This has her at ninth overall in our league and with her first win of the season. So congratulations, Amy. Yeah, congrats. And as for gimmick Cineplexes, Chris, I know you've been trying to play exactly $1,000 Cineplexes each week to do as poorly as possible. So how did that go? Well, I actually, I had a pretty bad week, so I had a pretty good week. I ended up in 15th place of the 16 active players we have in the small league. Uh, but that 16th player didn't set their lineup this week because they missed it by about 10 minutes. So had he set his lineup, I would have been in last place. You don't know that. You don't know what he was going to play. I guess that's fair. Uh, so so did you just play zero screens of Baby Driver? I, I had to fill with Baby Driver to get... Okay, so my base was, I know the house is going to bomb. So I bet <laughs> as much as I could on the house, which was three screens of the house, and then two screens of Wonder Woman, one Baby Driver, one All Eyes on Me, and one Guardians. Uh, so... Baby Driver was the one that I, I really didn't want to fit in, but to get all my thousand bucks spent, I had to. Yeah, well, that, that's what happens when you want to play exactly perfect Cineplexes. I think it's funny that you're following one of the three rules for getting perfect Cineplexes and trying to do as poorly as possible. Well, that's the challenge. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I almost want to start a second account just to compete with you, so you have somebody somebody else to compare against. Bring it. <laughs> 
All right, so Chris, you asked me to start writing a few sentences about each new release for this segment, and I wanted to put some effort into it this week, so let me rattle off all the new releases for summer week six. First up, Spider-Man Homecoming swings into Cineplexes this week as Tom Holland Benjamin buttons the web slinger into a true high schooler, and he's joined by perpetual winged superfigure Michael Keaton as Vulture. With or without the help of Iron Man, do you trust the webbed wonder to keep New York safe? And more importantly, do you like his odds on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday in your bid for a perfect Cineplex? Are you asking me this? No, this is rhetorical. I'm trying to list off all the all the new releases. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, what's next? Well, that that that's actually it this week. Oh, okay. It's, it's just it's just it's just Spider Man. It, that's it. Well, are, are you asking me now? Yeah, yeah. What uh, what, you got you got play you got play some Spider Man? I'm trying not to play Spider Man because I know Spider Man is going to make monies. If I do, I'm going to have to play the one that makes the least amount of monies. Uh, that's that's gonna be t- and it's not just the least amount; it's the least amount per its price. That's so true. If you if you play Friday, it's five hundred one bucks. That's half your budget gone right there. Saturday a little cheaper, and Sunday cheaper than that. But if you look at the Spider Man movies that have been released in on on a on a Friday, and not uh, Spider Man Two, which was a Wednesday, and Amazing Spider Man, which had a Monday release, which I did not even know was a thing. Usually Saturday uh, grosses the most. Uh, Friday had it for Spider Man Three and Amazing Spider Man Two. But eh, they're really, really close. If you look at them per buck, Saturday's basically the best play for Spider-Man. Hmm. I know. It's tough. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm i trying to, once again, the house was really bad to me last week. <laughs> so I'm trying to use as many of those as possible. But right now I'm having trouble getting a full thousand bucks Cineplex that way. Um, and it's, you know, I... It, it's partially, I think, because I'm trying to avoid Spider-Man, so I can't top load with something that I think is expensive but going to bomb. So, so can you can you leave blank screens, or you also have to have eight screens? I my the rules that I've imposed upon myself is all eight screens and all money spent. Who screens filled, money spent. I'll see what making I can it, do. Making it tough. I mean, Baby Driver is actually more expensive this week than last week. Do you think maybe it's going to drop off some? Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, I mean, almost certainly will, right? Yeah, but I, I don't know what the what the bonus bar is going to be. Like, where does it actually need to reach to be competitive against Spider-Man? Because it's, it's still way cheaper than Spider-Man and, and the, the second big movie out there, except for maybe Despicable Me, which is going to make more money, but yeah, k- kind of competes with Spider-Man. Kids like Spider-Man, kids like Despicable Me 3, and both of them are about super figures. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do either. I, I just need a lot of the house. <laughs> I, I'm trying to play around with it and help you out, but there's just nothing. nothing's looking good. It, it's just too hard to get the house in there enough times. Yeah, I mean, I the so I found you can do Friday, Sunday, Transformers, the house, mummy, mummy, and guardians but then i'm playing two spidermans yeah i know i i got a spiderman one for you saturday sunday four house beguiled guardians yep that's it yep well i mean what i'll have to do is on thursday i'm gonna take a look at all the theater counts like i always do do all the research i'm gonna put together my article and hopefully that can tell everybody what they should be playing and tell you what you shouldn't be playing at all and jake where could one find said article 
Yeah, so if you still need more FML in your life, catch my weekly recaps and predictions each week on the War Starts at Midnight blog. And if you've got a hot take for the next Perfect Cineplex, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at WSAMPod. Stick around and we'll be back with Adam Chipwood and really rad recommendations. Can we say that one more time? Alright folks, it is really rad recommendation time once again, and through the power of editing, Adam Chitwood is back to join us. So Adam, why don't you kick us off? What do you have to recommend this week? Uh, Forgoing a Baby Driver related title, uh, I'm recommending a movie that is coming out soon uh, called The Big Sick, which I caught back at Sundance. Uh, It's directed by Michael Showalter who uh, you probably know better as uh, part of the state. I didn't realize David he Wayne. directed it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the another movie that he directed, Hello, My Name is Doris. That Sally Field, like just lifetime movie looking drama. I but, think I know the the cover of yes, it. Yes. Yes. Uh, very strange. I know. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, this is uh, written by Kumail Nanjiani with his wife, Emily V. Gordon. Um, and it's based on their life, based on uh, how they met. And their relationship. Kumail stars in it. Uh, Kumail's, you know him on uh, Silicon Valley. And uh, Zoe Kazan plays uh, Emily Gord's character in the movie. And essentially they met, uh, she was heckling him at a comedy club. They stuck up a relationship. She went to the hospital and fell into this coma. The doctors could not figure out what was wrong with her, what was going on. They were still in the super early stages of her, um, uh, of their relationship and her parents come in and they're none too pleased with uh, Kumail's character. Uh, Kumail's character is having trouble with his own family. Uh, he's Pakistani. His family wants him to marry a Muslim girl and they don't know about uh, this other girl. So um, it's this uh, it's a romantic comedy through and through, but it's a genuinely unique one because their story is unique. Mm-hmm. It's unlike anyone else's story. It's told very sweetly. Uh, Kumail is great. It's really funny. Uh, Jad Apatow produced it, but it doesn't. It's a tad long, but it doesn't have like those hallmarks of, I mean, it's a Judd Apatow movie for good and for bad, um, but not much bad. Uh, It's got a lot of heart to it. And um, it's nice to see a romantic comedy with someone who looks like Kumail as the lead. Like it's just, it just feels different and it's genuinely funny. Um, 
Holly Hunter and Ray Romano play Zoe Kazan's parents, oh. and they're great in it. Ray Romano what? plays like dad with a capital D, like with dad jokes, and like he's really good. I'm so excited right now. Yeah, they're he's- both great in the movie. Holly Hunter I, and I have like the world's biggest crush on Holly Hunter, and this movie did not disappoint. She's really good in it. Um, and it comes out. Uh, it's out in select cities now. I think it expands p- pretty heavily nationwide on like July 11th. I thought it was 15th. Or 15th. 15th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The week after Spider-Man. And if you want your Edgar Wright tie-in, he's been tweeting that we should see this movie uh, in between an endless barrage of uh, Baby Driver tweets. Yeah, yeah. So I think Edgar and Kumail and Emily are actually neighbors, and so they were kind of Hmm. giving notes on each other's movies. Hmm. And I know that Edgar consulted a bit on the scripts that Kumail and Emily were writing for The Big Sick. Um, So yeah, I mean, I, I saw it at Sundance, and at Sundance you see a lot of movies that are like coming of age and very standard fair like that and you get pretty uh bored but this one was a breath of fresh air uh and and super crowd pleasing so i i highly recommend checking it out i've i've been looking forward to it since it uh was announced at sundance so yeah i'll I'll definitely be trying to sneak out to to see it when it finally hits circle yeah jake what about you so i have to confess chris uh when you told me to see the movie with the drive happy man from atlanta with the one killer track yeah where the cool dude runs from the law to pull off the big heist. Did you buy the wrong Michael Myers masks? With, <laughs> maybe so. Uh, but you clarified and said it was the one with the great small role by Paul Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I saw Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> See, it's, I couldn't, Jake, I couldn't have possibly uh, meant Smokey and the Bandit because I've never seen Smokey and the Bandit. Well, I knew this already, but what? Yeah, I know. I've definitely seen clips of Smokey and the Bandit on like TNT when I was in like elementary school. I think I need to just call your dad and say, how did Chris reach the age that you were when you saw Rocky without having seen Rocky or Smokey and the Bandit? Uh, Too busy watching Top Gun. (laughs) Oh, apparently. I hadn't seen Top Gun or Aliens, so you put us together and it's just an embarrassing. But that being said, you should go and watch Smokey and the Bandit. I watched it this morning in preparation. Um because why not it's fourth of july weekend why am i not watching smoking the bandit right now sure smoking the bandit too uh but stars burt reynolds sally field jerry reed made 40 years ago still has a killer uh title track to it and uh really 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 funny jokes but the best performance uh by far is is the role of buford t justice of Portague County, Texas, played by Jackie Gleason, in what may be his best non-honeymooners uh, uh, role. What about uh, what about the Hustler? Oh yeah, maybe we'll give it to the. It's <sighs> Minnesota Fats is good too. I don't know what to say, but this is this is his funniest role. How about that? Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's it's great, and uh. It's available at all the usual places you rent movies. It's going to be available at your local library. If you're over 40 and still have cable for some reason, I bet it's on literally right now. And of course, it's available at Hollywood Video. War Starts at Midnight brought to you by Hollywood Video. Of course. Of course. Uh, what What do you have for us, Chris? Um, I had a recommendation and I forgot it. So I, uh, I'm i sort of just calling an audible here. Actually, first, real quick quick recommendation. If you haven't heard Kamel Nanjiani's, uh, to piggyback on, on Adam's recommendation, if you haven't heard Kamel Nanjiani's uh, This American Life uh, piece, which was like a stand-up bit about um, mixing heroin with Tylenol PM 
and it's called Cheese. Um, this is the first thing I ever heard of him, like years and years ago. Um, it's really good. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, it's a incredibly funny and well like developed stand up bit. Um, but that is not my my recommendation. My recommendation this week is a movie that Louis C.K. just last week announced. Uh, was up for sale on uh, louisck.net for $5. It's a documentary called Check It, which uh, was directed by Dana Floor and Toby Oppenheimer. And it's about this uh, gang in Washington, D.C. of basically gay kids who started banding together. It was, I think, it started with about 20 of them. Um, they were like ninth graders in um, the D.C. public school system and uh, started banding together to defend themselves, uh, you know, against um, you know, perpetrators of violence against them and then has grown to this huge group of like 200, uh, gay black youth in inner DC. Um, and it follows them around. It was, you know, initially like watching, watching the trailer for it. I was, uh, thinking oh, this, maybe this is like the 21st century Paris is burning. It, it sounds like that. It's really not that, um, it's sort of a, you know, it's one of those documentaries where, uh, the, to at a, at a certain point, the story is only as good as you know what what unravels, and so uh, I I feel like it's a little uneven, but still certainly worth a watch. It's a fascinating world to to drop into. Um, a lot of a lot of very interesting characters, a lot of uh, a lot of stories and subplots going on uh, with with these characters, and and you know it's presenting something that um, is you know I I love I love a documentary that takes me completely out of you know, what, what I know. And it, it really drops you into, um, this fully realized world, um, and presents you with characters that are not necessarily always, um, the, you know, your, your protagonists, quote unquote, in, in this are not necessarily the best, you know, they, they are presented warts and all, which I appreciate. Like it, it allows you to really sort of assess the condition, the place where the, that they are in. Cause a lot of these older kids. I mean, they, they started the gang back in 2009. Um, so a lot of these kids are now in their early twenties and they're sort of trying to figure out a lot of them didn't graduate, dropped out of college or dropped out of, um, high school. They're trying to, you know, they're, they're living, um, hand to mouth. A lot of times, a lot of them prostituting themselves, um, on the streets and, uh, they are the much like something like Paris is, is burning. They're really the only family and community that they have. Um, so worth, I mean, I would say honestly, like for what's more or less a rental price at five bucks, I worth, worth checking out. Uh, you get it DRM free, louisck.net. Um, uh, that's check it. It's a pretty good watch. Measure everything in horsepower. You're getting paid by the hour. And uh, that is going to be a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Find us online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes, fantasy movie league recaps, and more. Or say hello on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WSAMPod. And Adam, if people want to reach out to you on the interwebs, where can they do so? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Adam Chitwood. Wonderful. <laughs> if you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio programming. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The War Starts at Midnight theme song was produced by Justin Streck. 
The Spoiler Alert theme song is by The Taylor Machine. Check them out at facebook.com slash thetaylormachine. And shout out to Cheyenne for the featured music on this week's show. Find more at bojennings.bandcamp.com. And join us in another fortnight as we kick off The Carpenter Shop, our ongoing exploration of John Carpenter, with a discussion of his 1987 film from the Apocalypse trilogy, Prince of Darkness. Thanks for listening, folks. I mean, is he retarded? Retarded, meaning slow. Goodbye. Not to be confused with WESAM Pod, which is a podcast about We Sam Keish. <laughs> uh, which is what Claire Edwards always says. That's um, what I thought the first 15 times I saw it on, on your Twitter. I was like, oh, I just think he's doing a We Sam. This week on MTV's uh, un whatever it is. Yeah, I, I like the problem was, though, that it's like it's way too long to. Yeah. Like, it's a bad name. It's a bad name for a podcast. Um, well, it's not like movie time now where people are just like, oh, this is movie stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's super obscure. Like, it's it's bad. Uh, can you give me uh, – stick around. We'll be back with Adam Chitwood and really well.